0: One little side issue that I just want to make a comment on for two minutes here, or a minute, was I was listening, as Chris was saying, ever since he was born, or ever since he came into the world, he had an interest in music. I just want to encourage you parents, keep giving those rattles to the babies. Okay? And for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, you young people, talk to the older people, they know what a rattle is. Okay, those things aren't being used by kids anymore. See that? That started him off with music. Okay, in our text, uh, we have been here for a while. And uh, by the way, uh, just even for the benefit of the distillers, I I was encouraged by the fact that uh, Gracia Burnham last week shared that was one of the few times that she's gone to churches that she had an opportunity to sit down and be ministered to. Because most of the time the missionaries are going and they're ministering all the time. Uh, but she had a chance last week to sit and hear the word of God. Anyway, we've been here for a while and we are currently addressing, I don't want to go back to a long review because it's so important to the text. We've been here a long time though in this particular text, actually because of a lot of the feedback that I've gotten from you as a congregation. But we are currently addressing the believer's relationship one with another. Another. We've talked about the relationship with Christ in this passage in John chapter 15. Now we're dealing with that relationship of believers one with another. And the bottom line is verse 12 and also verse 17. And that is this, as we have heard it over and over and have seen it. We are to love one another as body members in the body of Christ. We are to love one another as Christ has loved us. That is the way we are to love one another. But what does that mean as we've been talking about it? And we have looked at and spent our time looking at how Christ has loved us. Because if we don't understand that, in fact, if you recall, we went back to the Father's love for the Son. Because in the context, it's often overlooked in verse 9, it's just as the Father loved him. Now we've seen how the Father loved the Son. We've seen how the Son has loved us. Now we're to go do likewise. But still... That has to be made practical, and so we're trying to look at the practical applications, and we've had several messages on it already. Let me remind you of just a couple of things we've seen as we kind of bring it to a head here today with some other things I hope to get through. We have seen some important things that I want to emphasize, five specifically to you as we've gone over and over. One, it is impossible to love one another unless we are with others. We must, it is mandated, Christ was among us. We must be with believers to love them. You cannot say, I'm loving you, and I love you, and you're not spending time with others. You cannot be an isolationist. You cannot center everything on yourself and get away and say, I'm loving the brethren. That is a phony concept. We need to be with others. Secondly, we saw we must have an others-centered life rather than a self-centered life. As human beings, we are designed, and our makeup is, we want to center everything around us. We would never say that, but we act that way. We function that way. We build our time that way. We put our energies that way. When God has told us, if we're going to love one another as Christ has loved us, we need to be others-centered. We need to be, and that's what those verses are on the side, as we well know. We must also, third point that we've seen, we must also look for ways to serve others. Don't wait to be loved. I've said that over and over in the last few messages. Don't wait to be loved. Go love somebody. That's what we're called to do. And I know it hurts. And we know what it's like when we're we're not loved. But stop being involved in self-pity. Go love someone. That's what Christ did. He went out and he loved others. Fourth we saw, we must be willing to lay down our lives for others. And we've talked about the practical aspects. Very few times does God ask a believer actually to give up his life in the sense of physically, although it could happen. And we need to be willing to do that. And we saw that illustration in verse 14 of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what we did see is this idea of laying down our life includes our time, our energy. We ought to be willing to lay it down. And then the fifth thing that we saw that I want to emphasize, which is where we're at, really in this part of it, and I need to just hit a couple of other things, and that is if you're going to love one another as Christ loved us, we need to know what the truth is. We need to understand it because there's too many concepts of what real love is, and we need to understand the biblical concept of love. So we are talking of the evidence now. What are the evidences in a practical way? So we'll see it in our life. We'll see it in other people's lives that the love of Christ is really being ministered. It's obedience. Parents know that with our children. The key word is obedience. We had to love Christ. We had to love others as Christ has loved us. How do we do that? He obeyed the Father, and we've seen that. We need obedience. And let me just remind you of just a couple of verses close by in John Right there in chapter 15, look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide or remain in my love. That's how we do it practically, by obeying God. If you go back to chapter 14 and verse 15, we saw it there as well, where he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So you will obey. And I won't turn you back there, but in chapter 8 is where we saw that if we continue in his word, then are we his disciples indeed. And we've seen in 1 John that the way we demonstrate our love is not by saying it, it's by doing it. And so we ought to evidence it by obedience. And so in our outline for today, as we're continuing on this, we see that obedience demonstrated, first of all, we've been entrusted with the truth. It isn't that a Christian doesn't know what the truth is. We have it. Jesus has revealed the will of the Father. Look at verse 15 again. No longer do I call you slaves. Now we've talked a little bit about the slave and the the friendship, so I'm not going to dwell on that right now. But it says, But I have called you friends. Why? Here's the reason. For not some things, all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. He has entrusted the truth to us. And if we pause for a moment, you would say, what are you talking about? For example, regarding salvation. What is that? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. God's revealed it. Man does not have to go searching to want to know what the Father's will is for man. Jesus Christ just recently in chapter 14 said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. He has revealed to us salvation. He has revealed very plainly that he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but he came in so that the world could be saved. That's why Christ came. So he's revealed salvation's plan. He has also revealed the practical aspect of our lives, and that is our sanctification. He's revealed to us what we need for sanctification. And this is really where we're at, kind of pulling it apart, And looking where the rubber meets the road. For example, in Jude chapter, in Jude verse 3, I won't turn there, you can do it on your own. We have been delivered the faith. And now we are to contend for the faith that has once been delivered. Too many, in the name of Christianity, are still looking for revelation, they're still looking for additional information. Listen, folks, we are privileged. I just had finished teaching. In the high school to the seniors, and when you think of Malachi, to make it very simple for you, and the close of the Old Testament, they had all they needed, and they were now waiting for the Messiah. If you think of it that way, we're now in the New Testament, we have all that we need, God's revealed it, and we're waiting for the Messiah to come back. That's what it is. And we're in that gap. We don't have to go looking for new things, we need to pay attention to what He's given us. And all too often we read it, but we don't do it all too often. But we ought to defend the faith that God's given us. In Second Peter chapter 1, in verse 3, he tells us that he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, I don't mean to use that verse out of context, but understand what we're saying. He's given us everything. You want to know how to live as a child in your house? The scriptures have it. You want to know how to parent? The scriptures have it. You want to know how to live at work? The scriptures have it. You want to know how to live with your neighbor and put up with the things that go up and down? You have it in the scriptures. You want to know how to repair things when you blow it? The scriptures tell you. You want to know how to get through a situation when people are suffering physically? The scriptures tell you. You want to know how to handle situations when there's difficulty and there's a pain of loss and you need comforting? The scriptures instruct you. And I could go on and on and on. He's given us all things to pertain to the very practical things of life. And, and we just need to go there. And where we ended up was he's also in sanctification. He has defined for us, if you will, or described, might be a better word, where we spent our study the last time. He described for us in First Corinthians 13 what love looks like. Remember, and we started taking those words, and we were looking at them. He's described it in that love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. Now we want to look at some additional text, though. That's not all. He didn't just describe it to us. He worked it out for us. And so what I want to do is he continues. We continue on with that verse, verse 15, of how he's made known to us. I want to make it practical so that we can work it in our lives with the help of God. And let's start by looking at what we had for a responsive reading this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. And understand as we look at these passages, like we did with 1 Corinthians 13, when I went through the book of 1 Corinthians 13, we took the time and went verse by verse and in detail. Same thing in Romans. We only have so much time to highlight these things, and I want to get some points across so that we can get through the text. But look at Romans chapter 13. Now verses 8 through 10 are very clear. Notice what he says in verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except. Here is the debt that we have, folks. Our debt is to love one another. What is the debt that you owe to anybody? You owe them a, a payment on a loan or something? Well, look beyond that. Look beyond that. Jesus has revealed the Father's will to us. He has revealed what love is. We've seen that. And our debt is to love. What are we to do? We need to keep that central in our mind. And by the way, we all forget it. I have now spent approximately, without exaggeration, approximately two months studying in these passages that we've been going over and over with love and trying to work them out into the practical areas. And I walked into the church this morning after studying all week and preparing the message, and I was not loving to somebody this morning. And I walked into my office, and the Lord brought conviction badly. I said, how am I in the world not going to get in the pulpit when I just didn't love somebody the way I should love them? And God dealt with me, and I got the person aside, and we talked, and we straightened it out. And why am I sharing that with you? I fail. I, I preached on it. I, I'm preaching on it. I get into it. We do that. See, we understand it, but we owe a debt, and our debt is to love people. And we, you notice what he says. He goes on and he says, you know, for, for the fulfilling of the law is found in this. Love does not wrong his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. We know that. We've been talking about that. That's our debt. And then in verse 11, notice what he says. Do this. In the Greek, it's really that. Here's the purpose. Here's the explanation that what? Knowing that our time is short. If you don't believe your time is short, I'm telling you something. You are not living with any perspective that you should be living on. We are aging every day, every minute. We know that. Time is going. Look at what he says here in in chapter 13. We have a debt, and he basically says, wake up and start loving people. Why? Already. Notice what he says. Already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. And I do believe as Christians too often we're sleeping. And I'm not talking about in a bed when we want a nap. We're walking around in the world. We know the word of God and we're sleeping. God is presenting opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for us to love one another, for us to reach out to one another, and we don't even see it. And you notice what also he says. Also, all the more while you see the day coming, really. He says, awake from sleep. And he talks about salvation is nearer than when we believe. You notice that, when we believe. He's talking about our sanctification coming to glorification. You believe the Lord's coming back? And if you believe that the Lord's coming back and you see yourself getting older and so forth, I got reminders every time I look in the mirror. And I've already shared with you the reminder I got when I go to run and so forth, and I see a 30-year-old lady pushing a carriage, and she's peeling away from me and I'm trying to catch her and I can't even get near her I know I'm getting older and what I'm saying is we need to realize folks every day that goes by don't be wasting your time look for ways to love that's what he says the night is almost gone the day is here let's lay aside all of those deeds of darkness and we we understand carousing and drunkenness and sexual promiscuity and we realize that he doesn't stop there He says also strife and jealousy. Stop it. Get away from that stuff. And make it practical. Start loving people. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. That's the idea, as you well know, of putting something away so just in case I know where I can get it and so forth. All right, go into an opportunity where maybe I will sin. No, no, you make no provision. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and so he's saying our debt. So, what I want you to get from this, in a practical sense, time is growing short. The youngest person in this room, your time is growing shorter. And you see so many situations where, obviously, even young people's lives are taken early. Now's the time to live out the love of Christ, not to just talk about it. Time is short. Don't be living in sin. We are to be demonstrating it. We are to realize. I had a realization yesterday. We had a wedding, as many of you know, and then I went to the reception and I had the real, I was really encouraged talking with a number of people. But I tell you, something hit me. One of the people came over that I used to teach in college and career. This is how time goes college and career, right? I had this person in college, a person comes over to me, Pastor Dan starts talking, it was wonderful. He says, oh yeah, I'm going to be a grandparent for the second time. I almost fell through the floor. (laughs) I taught this person, he's got two grandchildren? Where am I? Oh boy, you know what I'm saying? We don't realize it. And it was a wonderful time, but it, it really did hit me. We don't realize how time just flies. Start loving people now not loving people now go with me to romans chapter 12 some more specifics that's chapter 13 and i want you to see that in chapter 13 he says oh no man anything where did that come that came off the heels of chapter 12 let's go there and i can't spend the time on every one of these but i do want to highlight a couple of things so that we see how it works out what does this mean to love everybody and how is this practical what does it mean to love the brethren In chapter 12, verses 9 to 21, very descriptive. Let me highlight a couple of things. It says, verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Don't be two-faced. Don't be saying you love someone when in your heart you can't stand them. The bottom line is let's love people sincerely by really showing it. Showing it. Okay? Uh, And then notice what he says. Let's go on. He says, abhor the evil." Cling to that which is good. That's what love looks like. Love doesn't enjoy evil. Love enjoys what God enjoys. It clings to that which is good. It it clings to it. The wedding yesterday, that was part of the message, right? That that, that they had to leave their parents, but they had to cleave to one another. Now this new married couple. And that's what we're to do. We're to cling to that which is good. Hold on to it. Talk about practicality. Look at the next one. And again, I know I'm not doing them justice, but I want you to see the working out. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We ought to be devoted to one another. How how do you think about that? What do you mean devoted to one another? Listen, I'm talking about this side of the room. Look up here for a second. And this side of the room, you be devoted to them. You be devoted to them. I be devoted to you. You be devoted to me. You be devoted to one another. You be de- what does that mean, devoted? You think about a family love, right? I've had five children. I now, now talking about grandchildren, have uh, eight and one on the way, by the way. I get another one, and people are going to ask. It's Julie. Julie's going to have another child. So we're excited about that. But anyway, so it's an exciting thing, okay? Wonderful. But uh, what I want you to realize Okay, is this a preciousness about a family, isn't there? Watch teenagers. And watch your teenagers and watch your young people. Watch how they protect one another. You're going to date my sister? Talk to me. It's protection, right? Oh, what would happen if one, you, one of you in your family, one of the kids, something went wrong. You watch the other one get the fist out and get ready to start fighting for the person. Uh, protecting one another. That's what we're talking about. That's devoted to the family. You know, you hurt my... My wife, you hurt me. You hurt one of my children, you're hurting me. Do we think of that with one another? Do we? Really? You know, I'm looking at it in an audience. I don't don't mean to pick on anybody. Ed, you're up in the front. You don't mind me picking on you. Well, okay, good. When I see Ed, do I look at, you hurt Ed, you're hurting me. Get out of my way. A pastor should shepherd that way, by the way. And I fail many times. But I'm telling you, we need to do that. You need to look on this side, Camille, you're the first one I saw. When you look at Camille, you know, you hurt Camille, you're hurting me. I don't want to leave the ladies out. Mary say yes, you hurt Mary, you're hurting me. Do we think of that with one another? I'm talking about believers. And by the way, the small groups are wonderful. It's been a great year with the small groups. And we had a meeting tomorrow, this morning. The leaders had to get together and so forth. We're looking forward to next year and so forth. If you're not part of a small group, that really helps you to get involved and to get to really meet and love one another and know where people are at. That's what we need to do. You know, Mrs. Vincent, did she get down there okay? Okay, she just left us recently and so forth. We need to get behind that. We need to get involved with one another. Boy, if I spend time like this in all the words. Giving preference. Giving preference. Look at what it says. Look at verse 10. Not only are we to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another. Now watch the next word. In honor. We know that we're to be not self-centered. We're to be other-centered. What is the concept behind this? Listen, we ought to honor one another. And something that I thought about myself as I was preparing the lesson, you know, it is great if we even look at one another and say, I'm going to give preference to you girls, the Currys, because right in the front, and I'm going to give preference to them because they're sisters in the Lord. I don't know. As I prayed about this and I was studying, I think it's better if I look at them and I say, I'm going to give preference to the Curry sisters. You know why? They're children of God. They're part of his body. They belong to him. And if I see them in that perspective, and if you see the, you know, oftentimes we look at one another, we see all the flaws we see all the things that we've done wrong to one another. And we've all, isn't that what a family does? We don't intend to, but we hurt one another. But what really makes the love show is when we can get involved with one another and we can honor one another, respect one another, and get back to doing what we're supposed to. that's how the family of God's to function. This is practical stuff. It is so sad when you see a family... That because somebody did something wrong, they don't talk to them for months or years or whatever. Look, at life's too short for that, and we know that. How much more in the body of Christ? He goes on. Not lagging behind in diligence. There's no room, let me put it this way very quickly, no room for lazy Christians. Listen, you'll get your rest in heaven. And not only that, we'll be always praising the Lord, so I don't know about what kind of rest we're going to get, but we're never going to get tired. That I do know. Praise the Lord for that, okay? Right now, we get tired, we get weary. That's why the scriptures say, don't get weary in well-doing. Don't give up. Continue going on. Continue, don't end up getting to be lazy. Look at what he says. He says, again, all of these words here, fervent in spirit. That's the concept of being boiling over. We ought to be boiling over with Christ's love that he had for us and love for one another. Not a phony love. We started off with that but a real one, a real one. Look at what else he says. Can you handle this one? I don't know if I can. It says, fervent in spirit, watch this. Who are we serving? Don't lose focus of that. We're serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Again, I can't spend all the time on these that I like to. Look at this one. Per- persevering in tribulation. Yeah. When things get tough, let me put it to you this way. Don't quit. Don't give up. I was talking to someone of you recently, and it had to do this is athletic, but it had to do with running. And I said to the individual, I said, you know what, you're gonna to get to those because I've had them. I said, You're gonna to get to that time when your legs are gonna be hurting, when your breathing's not gonna be right, when you wanna just say, I can't do it. Keep going. Think about that's just only two more laps. There's only one more. Do whatever you've got to do mentally to get yourself back when the body's failing. You know what? We have a lot of trials and tribulations. We have a lot of things that hurt. We have a lot of times that we want to quit. We have a lot of times that we want to give up. Why? Because we're in the trials. That's what it says. This loving one another is in the midst of the trial. We don't give up. Oh, it hurt. God, give me the strength to go on. David Had his life threatened, they were going to kill him. What did he do? He strengthened himself in the Lord. He had to get his focus back. And by the way, the people got one back, and he got the people back and everything, because he got his focus. When we get our focus back in the midst of the difficulties, when everything's caving down around us, God's love will truly be shown. We're to remain in prayer. Look at that. Be devoted to prayer. That's to be our life. We're to be instant in prayer. How's your prayer life? How's my prayer life? Not probably what it should be. You know, we, we pray regularly, but we really need to be involved, remaining in prayer. How about the next one? Contributing to the needs of the saints. Isn't this practical? You know, we heard today we have another saint who was involved in a, a car accident. Now they're in need of a car. Maybe we can look for them. Maybe we can pray for them. That's part of it. it or maybe meet that need. We need to be sensitive. Oftentimes we do this. Don't we really? Someone comes up to us and say, you know, I'm really hurt and I really need this. And you say, I'll pray for you. And you go your way. And maybe, honestly, we pray. But then we think back and we think of the book of Proverbs and we had the ability to meet that need but didn't fit into my time schedule. We need to be sensitive. And I'm talking to me as well as you. We need to be sensitive to one another. We need to be ready to help. How about a lover of strangers practicing hospitality? How about when we get missionaries that come uh, or you get uh, people that come and you have a a group? I thought about this because we had a group that wanted to come here and we didn't end up hosting them. There were so many things going on. I thought about that afterwards. That's not going to happen again. You know why? Because we need to be ready to be hospitable no matter what the schedules are. We need to be ready to reach out. Well, if I spend the rest of the time, we're never going to get through this passage. But if you look at it, bless those. How practical is that? Somebody persecutes you, you bless them, you don't curse them. How many rejoice with those who do rejoice? That's what we should be doing. We're glad that you succeeded. Those who are hurting, we, we cry with them. That's what it says. Let me get right down to the bottom of the verse. How about verse 21? Don't be overcome with evil, overcome it with good. I think that's practical. I think it's practical. That's what love looks like. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This is what it looks like. In Ephesians chapter 4, this, and I know in the small groups you just study the book of Ephesians, and it was wonderful. But uh, let me just go down to verse 22 that in reference to your former manner of life, lay it aside, okay, corrupted, uh, in accordance with the lusts and deceits, you see in chapter 4, and then you see, be renewed in your thinking, in your mind, verse 23. Put on what? The new self. And then look at how practical this is, verse 25. Basically, speak the truth. Stop lying. Be honest with one another. You know, Christians oftentimes aren't. Are we to be angry? Yeah, you can be angry for the right reasons, verse 26, but don't sin. Oftentimes when we get angry, we get caught up into revenge. We get angry, we get caught up with bitterness. That's why he deals with that as well in the passage. How about this one? This is practical not just to marriages. It's practical to our relationship as brothers and sisters in the Lord. What is that? Look at verse 26 where he says, let not the sun go down upon your anger. I think Ken used that yesterday. But look at what it says. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Settle issues now. Don't wait. More and more I'm trying in my Christian life, and I exhort you to try to do this. When something goes wrong, deal with it immediately. Don't let it. The longer you stew, the worse it gets for you. The more bitter you get, and you can tell everybody you're walking with the Lord, but you're not. I know that from experience. At that time, you're not. You need to let the Lord get a hold of you, and don't let the sun go down without reconciling that. If you stole before, don't steal anymore. Self-explanatory. How about this one? This hurts. Let no unwholesome word, verse 29, proceed out of your mouth. Let no unwholesome word, are you kidding me? But only that which is good to build up? Only that which meets the need of the moment? Why? So that every time you speak, it renders grace? I wish I could say that were true in my life, that every time I spoke, it rendered grace to the person that heard. I know I fail with that. Do you fail with that? God wants you to... That's love. Love says what's needed to help that person in the moment, even when you're hurting. That's what love looks like. Don't grieve the Spirit of God, verse 30. Let all bitterness and wrath, look at verse 31, and anger and clamor, slander, be put away. You know, when there's bitterness that in your life, again, we know this from experience, you're the only one that's hurting. Have you ever had this situation You get involved with someone, they go their way, and you think they're holding something against you, and you're turning, and you're turning, and you're turning. They've forgotten it. It's gone with them. And six months later, you happen to see them, and it's still turning and turning. What have you been doing for six months? They're having a wonderful time. Well, uh, you remember when I said this? And then you, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And you've been holding it for six months. This person's forgotten it. Forgive it. That comes down to verse 32. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, <clears throat> one another just as God... Oh, wait a minute. There's a word there. Forgiving each other. Oh, wow. Okay, I can forgive. The verse isn't done. Just as God in Christ has also forgiven. That's practical. This is how love functions. This is what love looks like. And then I don't have the time for chapter 5... Verses 1 through 21, I'll give it to you. You look at it. I will say this. Look at how chapter 5 starts. Therefore, conclusion, after saying what we just said, be imitators of God, watch, as beloved children, verse 2, and walk, guess what, in love, how just as Christ also loved you, and he gave himself up a, what, sweet smell to the Father. That's what God wants. So we've been looking at this for three, four messages, you know, but that's the practicality of how it works out if you really want to know if you're loving. And if you are half a human being, I know I am half a human being in some sense, but you look at the Word of God and you know what you come away saying? Here's what I came away saying when I studied this. Impossible. Guess what? You're right. Except, go back to John chapter 15. Except, verse 16, You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Let me just stop right there for a moment. It's a reminder that we've also been chosen. Chosen what? To produce. Yes, God has chosen us. And you've got, you cannot get away from that. You have got the election of God, and I'm proud to preach that, okay? And that's hard for the human mind to grasp. But notice, he didn't just end by choosing us for salvation. He also has chosen us and equipped us, why? To bear fruit and that our fruit would remain. And remember, that's the same word we've been seeing with the vine and the branches, abiding in him, so that our fruit would remain for how long? All eternity, for the glory of God. That's what he's going to produce. He will produce it. We can't. We can't do these things. We can't love one another as Christ has loved us in our own power. We can't forgive. We can't say wholesome things to one another. We can't let the sun go down uh, without reconciling things. We we can't do that in our own power. But we have to turn to this. Go to Philippians chapter 1. You'll know the passage. Isn't this great? He doesn't just tell us to love one another as Christ loved us. He equips us to do it. And what a promise. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, how many of you quoted this? For I am confident of this very thing, watch this, you you belong to the Lord, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until you fail. Will perfect it until... Something happens in your life. Uh Uh-uh. He will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Until the day of Christ Jesus. Well, how's that going to work in a practical sense, Pastor Dan? Go to chapter 2. Same book. Chapter 2 of Philippians. You watch the practicality of this. Verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always... We're back to what we started with. Obedience. Obeyed in my presence only. But now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation. It's not saying get saved by good works. You know that. No one gets saved that way. We get saved by the grace of God. We just saw that. He's chosen us. But how are we to work that out in a practical sense with our sanctification? He tells us, watch, in fear and in trembling. Well, how does it work? Verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you. Let me stop there for a second. I challenged you about three weeks ago and I come back to that challenge right now again. What I want us to start doing as a congregation, what I want me to start doing as a person, what I'm challenging you to start doing as a person is to look for that in people. In the people of God, stop looking at the flaws and look at what God is doing in them. You will be amazed at how your outlook will change. Oh, yes, they still may be doing things wrong, fellow believers. Maybe they're not to the maturity level that you are. Maybe they should be, and they did something again. But have you ever thought to take a step back and say, but look at where God's brought them. They were there. Now they're here. They should be here, but they're over here because God's working. Start looking in one another's life because it's God that is at work in you. Now watch this. Verse 13, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We work together. Actually, God's doing all the work. But he's in us. He hasn't left us comfortless. He's given us the deposit. He's given us the Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own. We are to yield to the Spirit of God. According to Galatians, walk in the Spirit. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we can't sit back lazily That's why I said there's no lazy Christians and say, I'm just waiting for the Lord to return. He'll do everything in my life. It's not how it works. He is working in the life, and he knows we are but flesh. That's why he was so patient with Peter. Oh, Peter, do you love me? Oh, you know I love you, Lord. Tonight, you're going to deny me three times. Not me. And then afterwards, he came and said, Peter, you jerk. No, he didn't. He saw him afterwards, and he said, Peter... You love me? He so said. you know I love you. You love me, Peter? You know I love you. Love me, Peter? I know you love me. Feed my sheep. God's working in you, Peter. You're coming a long way. you got your failures. Stay close by. I'm going back to my Father. When you're coming back, not for you to know. Acts chapter 1. You just carry on. When the Holy Spirit comes, you'll be equipped. Do what I've called you to do. Preach the gospel because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation that everyone believes, and just yield to the Spirit of God. I will produce the fruits. Let me do it. And isn't it practical? Look at the very next thing he says in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Pastor Dan, you just ruined my lunch. You know, but there it is. I mean, right? It's like I said earlier. Isn't it true? Ah, the rain. Ah, the cold weather. Can't wait for the warm weather. Oh, it's too hot. You know, that's us. That's me. You know, that's the way it is. You know, this isn't right. My lawn isn't good. This isn't good. My clothes aren't right. This isn't right. I didn't eat the right food. Let's pray for the food. And then after we're done praying for the food, it's, oh, that again? How does it line up? See, that's the way we, and Paul knew that. God knew that. And then notice this. Then we'll prove ourselves. We can't do this in our own power. Go back to John 15. We'll wrap it up for this morning. God has not only selected us, he's equipped us. He's the one that will produce the fruit. Isn't it true, even with the gospel? Remember what we learned in the book of Acts? Who gives the increase? Some have watered. Some have planted. Help me. God gives the increase. You know what? If we pay attention to our own lives, loving others in practical ways like this, In yielding to the Spirit of God, he'll take care of the rest. People will be attracted to that. People will be attracted to your walk. Here's a toughie. Be honest in your own thinking. Don't anybody raise your hand. Don't anybody say anything out loud. When's the last time you had somebody come up to you and say, you know, your life is different and I want to know the God that you know. we're honest starting right here it's been a while i've had people come to me over time and they wanted to know more i've shared that with your referees and so forth and family members have wanted but there's times and i take a step back and i say you know what it's because i'm not loving the way i should be loving it's not because i'm not doing what i should be doing But the scriptures tell us if we're doing what we should be doing, people will be attracted to Christ. Aren't we to be, according to Philippians, a light that is shining in the midst of a perverse world? Yes. Yes, we are. And last point, how am I going to get this in three minutes? I will. In John chapter 15, I think we've had so many messages in this passage. By the way, the next area is... We've talked about our relationship to Christ, our relationship with one another. The next area is our relationship to the world. That's going to begin in verse 18. But let me finish with this. The third area in your outline is, we are to obey because we've been invited to pray. Look at the rest of verse 16. For whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he'll give it you. And you know by now from the teaching that's been done, that that instruction is we ought to go to pray because we have to be honest. There's times in our lives when the trials come, we don't know why this is happening. And we're trying to walk with the Lord. Have you ever had those moments? God, I'm praying every day. I'm reading the Word. Why are these things still happening? Why did it go that way? Why is my child doing that? Why isn't my spouse responding? You tell me to live like a godly woman I'm trying my best, and my husband still doesn't see it for whatever reason, and he still doesn't know the Lord, or vice versa. Are, are you try, I'm trying at work to do what you tell me. I, I'm not cutting back on the brakes and taking too much. I, I'm trying to be the best worker, and my boss still runs over me with a truck every day. God, I, I don't understand. And I'm trying to live it, and I'm trying to love the way you tell me to love. And, it's, and I'm trying to yield... I don't understand. Come to me in prayer. I understand. I'll answer. And I'll give you the references. I won't turn there. Obviously, James chapter 1. Count it all joy when you run into various diverse trials, multicolored trials, trials of all situations. And then he goes on and says, when you don't understand, what does he tell you to do? Pray. When you don't understand what's going on, Pray. But don't come to me like a wave in the sea that's driven around. Come to me believing I will answer. And if you want some supplements, it's Hebrews chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 4, which basically says this. We've got a high priest, and it's not one that can't be touched with our infirmities because he was tempted and tested in all ways just like we. What a great Savior. He knows what it's like to be hated. He knows what it's like to suffer physical pain. He knows what it's like to pour your life out to somebody and they betray you. He knows what it's like to have his brothers and sisters not want him. He knows what it's like, and we could never know this, to create the world, come into the world, and then love his people, and his people want nothing to do with him. Want it to be practical? He knows what it's like to save you and I and watch us walk away from him day after day after day. And so he says, you come to me and you will find help in time of need. God will never, ever let you down. He may make you be patient, but he will never let you down. So... Our relationship, there's no buts, there's no maybes. Our relationship with the brethren is to love one another. Praise the Lord when we do that. And I've seen it among you. Do it more. You say, it's been a while, Pastor Dan. Start now. Don't wait for tomorrow. I can't do it. You're right. But with God's power, we all can So let us abide in Christ. That was all that first part. Let us love one another as Christ loved us. And you know what? Others will be drawn to the Savior. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, you've challenged my own heart. Not only with salvation is it impossible for man to be saved, but all things are possible with you but also as we walk in our sanctification. Father, as human beings, there are so many things not to love and so many people not to love. In fact, so many reasons why people would not love us. But Father, you loved us while we were enemies, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And Father, you even loved those who rejected you. Father, help us to love one another as believers in the body of Christ. We need help. We know you've equipped us with the Holy Spirit. We know you've equipped us with giving us the word of God, even as we've seen. And we can talk about 1 Corinthians 13 and understand it intellectually, but Father, it's so hard to practice. By your grace, we appeal to you right now that, Father, you'd help us start now. Help us to start loving one another the way you loved us. for Father, we know that we'll see the effects of this and you'll get all the glory. We thank you for this time. We pray you bless our afternoon. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we go, uh, just to mention, you're invited and welcome to the luncheon. We'll give you time. Get your children. Get in there, relax. I'm going to go to the outside door. It's too nice a day. I'm not going to shake hands in here. But um, get in there and then we'll give you instructions in there. We look forward to the afternoon with the Dislas. Thank you.